Hello and welcome to the Prospect Sermons podcast, the preaching ministry of Prospect Baptist Church. This podcast is dedicated to the faithful exposition of the scripture and the edification of the local church. This is Parker Smith, senior pastor of Prospect Baptist, located in Fayetteville, Tennessee. Our prayer is that the sermon you're about to hear will help you grow in your understanding of God's word, point you toward the person of Jesus Christ, and encourage you to live for the glory of God. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Prospect Sermons podcast. morning and i um, glad you all are here. It's just a word to our guests if you're new here with us. Hopefully when you came in, as Johnny has mentioned, hopefully you received a bulletin in that bulletin's a little perforated card. We'd love for you to fill that out. Leave it in your seat. We'd love to follow up with you, let you know we're praying for you, get to know you a little bit better. But if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn them on, turn them to the book of Galatians chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 6 through 10 this morning, continuing our series through the book of Galatians. This is just the second part of that. Last week we looked at verses 1 through 5. We saw God's man, God's gospel, God's will, and God's glory. Namely, that the apostle Paul is arguing that he is, in fact, a true apostle. His apostleship, not by man or through man, but through Christ. This gospel is a gospel of grace, not of works. It is all of grace, and it is for God's will and God's glory. Salvation, as we said, is from beginning to end the work of God. God working through history through his son, Jesus Christ. God working through his apostle and his word. God working through his spirit to draw and call us into salvation. And so we're going to continue in that light this morning as well. Paul's primary point that he's making this morning and will be throughout the first part of the book of Galatians is that this gospel does not belong to you. It doesn't even belong to Paul, and it certainly doesn't belong to the false teachers. It does not belong to man. It belongs to God. And this gospel belonging to God is under the rule and decree of the Lord. And so what right do you have therein? And the answer to that is none. You have no right to add to it. You have no right to take away from it. You have no right to manipulate it or twist it to fit your standards. You you have no jurisdiction or grounds of authority over the Lord himself. You can only receive this gospel. You can only serve this gospel, not spin it to fit your wishes. You're not its author. You don't get to write it. Only trust in it. And trusting in this gospel is a trust that encompasses the power, the substance, and the sovereignty, and the goodness of God. You can call sinners to repentance, but you cannot call them unto salvation. You can preach the power of the gospel for salvation, but you are not its power. You can preach the good news, but nothing within you makes it good. God is the power of salvation. God is the substance of our redemption. And he is the Lord of salvation and is incredibly gracious and kind and extending his gospel of good news to sinners. You don't get to mess with God's gospel. And if you do and you distort its truth, know that you are diminishing the work of Christ. And what's left is really... No gospel, no good news at all. Only a house of cards that you have built that will soon come crumbling down. And God has designed it this way because there is only one gospel. There is no other. 
And it is the gospel of our Lord and great Savior, Jesus Christ. It is not your gospel. So don't mess with it. If you would stand in honor of reading God's word, Galatians 1, 6 through 10, the Apostle Paul continues his letter in this way. He says, I am astonished that you so quickly are deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now speaking, seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. If you believe it, say amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and you would give us ears to hear. Father, and that by your son that he would go before us and he would make a way that we would see Christ and Christ alone exalted this morning. And we'll see, there are a lot of other distortions. There are a lot of other false gospels calling for our attention. But may we cling to the one and only Savior, Jesus Christ, and his gospel. And with your spirit, would you give us hearts to receive your word and to obey it and to apply it in all of our lives. And we'll thank you for it in advance. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want to call your attention to two points this morning, namely how quickly we run to a different gospel, and secondly, we must fear God rather than men. How quickly we run to a different gospel. I'm getting this from verses 6 and 7. The Apostle Paul had a common flow in which he would typically begin his letters to the churches. After a formal introduction, he would typically follow with a nice greeting. Quintilian, who was a master of classical style and rhetoric of A.D. 35 to A.D. 95, said you ought to start with a simple but nice exhortation. For if you do this, your messenger, your message will be heard. A sane person would begin in a friendly way as to retain the hearer's attention. So start with a courteous statement. It'll help your readers be more engaged and more apt to listen to what you were trying to say. And the Apostle Paul, more often than not, begins his letters in this way. But here, in this particular church, in the churches at Galatia, he simply cannot help it. He starts in a different way. He doesn't continue with an exhortation. Though he is not insane, he is alarmed. He is shocked. He says to this, the Galatians churches, I am astonished. That you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. The Apostle Paul calls our attention to the transformation of the gospel, the gospel call of the gospel, and the exclusivity of Christ all in these verses. The transformation that is the work of true faith brings about that we are new creatures in Christ. And he sees the Galatians, they're reverting back to something that they have been rescued from. 
He sees the gospel call that this is salvation is a gracious work of the Lord and his spirit bringing transformation and calling sinners unto salvation, opening their eyes to the beauty of Christ's salvation. And these Galatian churches are deserting their very Savior. The exclusivity of Christ and Christ alone, and yet they are trusting in another for salvation? These false teachers was one of subtleness. It was one of just slipping it in. It was something that would fly underneath the radar. It was something that was so subtle, but underneath there was a slight shift to the ground that was, that was massive. It was a tectonic shift, shift that would happen that the, the ground would split and part from the true gospel, and it troubled the church. And it resulted in these believers departing from the truth of the gospel and the power of Christ and from their Savior. Paul was used to this type of cunning and deceptiveness. It happened in the church of Antioch in Acts chapter 15 that some men came down from Judah and were teaching the brothers, unless you were circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Notice their problem wasn't Christology. And none of these false teachers would have a t-shirt that said, I'm a false teacher, give me a hug. It was subtle. It was deceptive. It was, it was slick. It was polished. Their problem wasn't that they denied the, the death of Christ or the resurrection of Christ. Their problem was that they didn't deny Christ's divinity. All of them would likely have affirmed that. Yet if you pry a little deeper... The gospel that they preach is nonetheless no gospel at all. And if you pry a little bit more, you see that the gospel and the Christ that is preached therein is not the same Christ. They are truly deserting him and they are abandoning the Lord all together. Could you spot it? Could you spot a false gospel if it were preached today? Could you spot the deceptiveness? Could you spot the subtlety of it? I was reading in the New American Commentary. The commentator said this. It was like these false teachers were presenting something to this church that says, Dear brothers of Galatia, we greet you in the name of the Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. We've heard through the ministry of the Apostle Paul that you've been converted and you've turned from idols. But we're also a little bit suspect of this Apostle Paul as well. We suspect that he might not even be a true apostle and he maybe is not teaching you some very important things and maybe he's even admitted to tell you some things altogether. Did he mention by chance circumcision? You know, it's very important. It's probably just as important as baptism. Nay, it's actually more important than baptism because Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. Circumcision, you must be circumcised. You need to follow in what the Lord, the Lord has called us to do. In order for the Lord to be pleased with you, you must have Christ and you must have observance of the law because Jesus, after all, is our great example. So follow him and follow us and fulfilling the law because Jesus has done it, and so you can too. Could you spot the subtle deceptiveness within that? On the surface, nothing sounds off. It sounds good. Until we were to stop and realize what has actually been said. That the way to truly be accepted by the Lord isn't 
by trusting in Christ alone for salvation. They merely presented that he was merely a way of salvation to point you in the right direction, but now it's up to you. Jesus was merely an example, but not your substitute. He was merely a sacrifice that you should believe in, but he was not your righteousness. Instead, if you want to be righteous, these false teachers would say, you have to get it from somewhere else. You have to keep looking. He's looking to you now to finish it. It's this type of Jesus plus, and you fill in the blank, gospel. And it's rampant in society today. Here, it was Jesus plus the law equals salvation. Jesus plus circumcision equals salvation. Could you spot it? Could you spot it in the Roman Catholic Church? It says you must take the sacraments because they carry merit. And if we want to be accepted in the sight of God, this was the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. Up until 1545, they doubled down on it. And said, if you want to be accepted, there are seven sacraments. God loves the lovely, is what was being communicated. And so we must make ourselves acceptable before him, because you can never be too sure. Because salvation comes through the merit earned therein of the sacraments. It's a false gospel. Jesus plus sacraments, false gospel. You must be woke Jesus plus woke. You can't be a Christian until you are woke. To be honest, this, this, the onset of this seemed really well-intentioned that one should seek the, or plead the cause of, of injustice in our society. And a lot of good has maybe come behind it. And in fairness, it's difficult to speak on this because there's such a variety of levels within the woke church movement. But in the end, the woke church as the conversation begins to unfold, is nothing more than a rebranding of black liberation theology of James Cone. And it's guided more by Marxism than it is by the scripture. It's not about biblical justice or even social justice. It's about selective justice. It's not so much about man being reconciled to God as it is about righting systematic wrongs or societal wrongs at the hand of the hegemonic culture or the dominant culture within the society. If you want redemption according to this gospel, you must be woke, born again, not by Christ alone, but instead through admitting your guilt by nature of identity with the cultural hegemony that those that are in the power within society, and you have to not only accept that, but you then have to give that power and privilege back and sometimes even owing back from the hegemonic oppression. It talks about systems and privilege and hegemony and oppressors. Those in positions of authority and privilege and power within society. And it's a false gospel that preaches penance. Not repentance. But penance. Because you'll always owe more for your past sin. And penance can only go so far. But it keeps going, and there will never be enough. There's no salvation there. There is no Savior there. And, it's, and it, folks, it's only going to grow from there. That merit that comes through social justice will begin eventually, will continue to grow. There's another cart behind it. That unless you embrace homosexuality, transgenderism, pedophilia, you've got to get woke to be 
saved. It's a mix of Bible, intersectionality, and critical theory. It is a distortion of the gospel. And it fails to see the reconciliation of the nations and all ethnicities coming together as one in Christ. That all race, all color, all ethnicity isn't to be diminished, but celebrated as image bearers, redeemed by the Lord and reconciled in Christ. And it is moving from individual hearts and sins, and now you have to address systems and the culture to address the sin. But the gospel is working the other way around. It is by grace through faith and the faith in Christ that we are radically transformed. And that transformation actively comes out of us to pursue justice in the world for the least of these, to love our neighbor as ourselves. And if there is sin, I want to be clear, if there is sin in your heart towards your neighbor who are those who are made in the image of of God and you're showing partiality on the basis of race you need to repent pursue justice speak out against injustice may your hearts be broken may we be slow to speak and quick to listen but we aren't saved with Jesus plus social justice. It is Christ and Christ alone. And you aren't saved by Jesus plus nationalism. And at the root of this false gospel, again, an elevation, the elevation of something good. Be patriotic, vote, love your country, pray for those who are in authority and the civil magistrate, and pray for those who share your political ideas and for those who do not. But Christian, the good news of Jesus Christ isn't found in a political party or a president, and hope is not lost because your vote didn't win. And don't equate a vote with someone's justification before God that Jesus plus ballot casting somehow earns you credit or Christian equals the right type of American. Don't buy that. And don't misrepresent me either. I'm not saying that Christians should disengage from political conversations. There is an increasing need and will be an increasing need for pastors and God-fearing men and women to engage in the public square. So engage. Have the conversation. Be informed. Be concerned. But don't root your hope or justification before the Lord in an earthly kingdom. Look for a coming and better country whose city and builder is God. Do you see the slight and subtle distortion? Good things, good things becoming ultimate things and the means and grounds and your right standing before God. The apostle Paul says, no, there is only one who is ultimate. There is only one who gives us right standing and it's not through the law, Galatians it's not through the law. The law is good, but the law is not ultimate. There is only one, and his name is Jesus Christ. And if you insert anything beyond Jesus plus for salvation, you're diminishing the work of Christ and his redemption. You are distorting the gospel, and you are deserting your great Savior and clinging to a lesser one.
There's others, the prosperity gospel, Jesus plus wealth. Jesus is a means through which you obtain financial wealth and status and luxury. Closely affiliated with the word of faith movement, Jesus is a means through which you get anointed and healed. We gain access to this divine favor through professing it, name it, claim it. In the name of Jesus, it's dangerous, folks. Propagated by false teachers like Kenneth Copeland, Benny Hinn, Joel Osteen, Joyce Meyer, Paula White, T.D. Jakes, Stephen Furtick, even within the Southern Baptist Convention, beginning to dive into this. It's dangerous, folks. Mormonism, Jesus plus Joseph Smith. A false gospel that denies the sufficiency of scripture to the degree that you need a young teenager who had a vision of an apostate church and so the bible can't be trusted and the church can't be trusted so you need joseph smith to give you a new revelation who preaches a christ that's nothing close to the christ revealed in scripture jesus being one of many gods of the universe who also shares the brother of lucifer who was jealous of him because he was chosen to be the savior of humanity And apparently, the Jesus of Mormonism isn't a very effective Savior either. Only sufficient to pick up where you left off. This is 2 Nephi 25-23. This is from the Book of Mormon. It says, For we labor diligently to write, to persuade our children and also our brethren to believe in Christ and to be reconciled to God. Watch this. For we know that it is by grace that we are saved, comma, after all we can do. Apparently, it's Jesus plus all you can do. And there's more I can say, but the same song and dance is happening. It's a distortion of the true gospel, and it's no gospel at all. Jesus plus tongues, if you really want to be saved, you have to be able to speak in tongues. And if you can't, well, then you must not be saved. Jesus plus tongues. The heightening of a spiritual gift that the Holy Spirit does give to each believer for the edification of the church. But the elevation of one gift over the others, it says, if you don't do this, Jesus plus, Jesus plus baptism. You must be baptized by immersion to be saved. A common teaching within the church of Christ, often used from a proof text from 1 Peter 3, verse 21. It says this, baptism which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as the removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subject to him. It's a proof text, and I say that it's a proof text because it's ripped out of the context. It says baptism, which corresponds to this. Corresponds to what? Well, Peter has been making the argument that it is corresponding to the ark of God and nowhere being delivered from the floodwaters. He's making a parallel, and now it saves you. Not that it saves you, it adds redemption, but it is grounded, look further, that it is through the resurrection of Jesus. The very grounds of the redemption is not in baptism, but that in Jesus Christ. Baptism is good. You should be baptized. Christ commanded that we do that. It is a public profession of faith, but it is not the grounds of your right standing before God. Paul is clear. The Bible is clear. 
Look at Ephesians 2, just a couple of pages from the book of Galatians. Ephesians chapter 2. What does Paul say in Ephesians 2? It is crystal clear. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, you see any pluses there? But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ so that in the coming age he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ. And in case you're confused, I'll say it again, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. May I clarify some more, not a result of works, not a result of Jesus plus anything, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Folks, Jesus plus circumcision, Jesus plus law-keeping, Jesus plus sacraments, plus baptism, plus Lord's Supper, plus tongues, plus signs of company, plus wokeness, plus nationalism, plus Joseph Smith, plus prosperity, the list goes on, plus the new perspective on Paul, plus Jehovah's Witness, even your tradition. Jesus plus anything is no gospel. All of them, every one of them, Affirm Jesus. Merely see him as a great example, maybe even a partial substitute, and maybe, but not really a complete substitute. He's not a complete savior because there still remains some stuff for you to do if you really want to be saved. He may be your savior, but he, he, he may be your substitute, but he's not your righteousness. He's not your right standing before God. If you want that, you'll have to go look for, some, look for it for someplace else. But the truth is, beloved, if you go and search for those things apart from Christ, you will not find good news. You'll only find your own depravity. You will only find your inability to save yourself. It is a dead-end street that leads to destruction. It is a false gospel, and it is no good news at all. Here's a little graph that'll come up that'll help clarify what I'm speaking to this morning. Biblical orthodoxy... It's the Cairo, the Greek letter, the first two letters of Christ in the Greek. Cairo is by grace alone through faith alone equals salvation that leads to works. The incorrect view is Christ plus, there it is, Jesus plus your good works equals salvation. The Apostle Paul is clear. Galatians 1, 6 and 7. I'm astonished that you so quickly are deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who are troubling you who want to distort the gospel of Christ. Leave that, leave that, um, that graph up. 
Notice the subtlety. Notice what the false teachers do. They do two things. They trouble the church. They, they, they terrazzo, they disturb, they shake, they, they agitate, they cause trouble to God's people. They bring into question the very truth of Christ. It's a false doctrine that these false teachers are pre- preaching and it brings trouble to the church. False teaching always troubles the church. It doesn't just trouble, it also distorts Metastrepho, the the word to mean to change or to alter. It even means to flip on its head or to flip upside down, reversing the order of things. You see that? Same components. The exact same things that are up there. But if you distort the order of them and you flip it on its head, it changes the message. And the subtlety therein should cause us to pay careful attention to that which we hear and believe. It says they are quickly turning away. Like Israel going bowing down before a golden calf in the wilderness after they had just been freed by the Lord, received the law, and had entered into the covenant with God. Moses goes to the mountain, comes down and finds they have fashioned and formed and are worshiping a false god. And these Galatians did the same thing. They are quickly turning away. The subtlety of that. Folks, you need to be careful. You need to know what's out there. You need to know where to find right answers. And I'll just say this. Facebook and social media is not the place to find the best answers. Facebook and social media has become the pastors of our society. You need to be careful where you get your theology from. And just do this, the next time a spiritual meme pops up on your Facebook page, follow it to its logical conclusion. Walk it back a little bit, if you will. See where the root is from. See if it's anchored in Christ, in Christ alone for salvation. Or see if it's Jesus plus something else. We must be able to discern that. Christian, you need pastors, not Google searches and social media. We find good theology not from Google or Facebook. Going to Google is like, it's like turning to Google when the lump shows up on your neck. Go talk to your doctor. You won't sound doctrine. Read your Bible, Christian. Go have a conversation with those that have been affirmed and entrusted with soul care to the local body of Christ. I love podcasts. I love hearing other preachers. But folks, a preacher in, in, in Minneapolis, Minnesota is not my pastor. How fast it can happen. How fast, how quickly it can happen. How fast our hearts are quick to turn and distort the true gospel. And we desert our Savior and we fabricate our own. We trust in our own self. We trust in ourselves for our own salvation. And in doing so, we desert the very one who called us. There is only one gospel, and it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are connected to that gospel by repentance and faith, succinctly by our belief in Christ. And that belief comes with transformation, repentance. All of it, the Apostle Paul says, is the grace of God who calls us. It is God who calls. It is God who saves. It is a total, it is totally God's gospel. And we are recipients of that gospel by grace through faith. There is only one gospel. Seven times in these five verses, seven times 
the Apostle Paul mentions the exclusivity of Christ for salvation and the exclusivity of the one gospel of Jesus Christ. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. There is only one gospel, and it's not yours. Don't change it. Secondly, we must fear God rather than men. Real quick. These false teachers are troubling the church. They're not, they're, they're not only distorting the gospel, they're also attacking the integrity of the apostle Paul. And verse 10, when you read it, it almost just hangs there. And to be honest, I'm a little bit, was a little confused as what to do with verse 10. Because he's obviously making a transitional statement. But the Apostle Paul is being emphatically clear here. He's about to start to defend his apostleship. But I think he wants to make it clear is that you haven't offended me. You've really offended God. You've messed with his message. You've messed with his gospel. You've messed with his bride. You've messed with him as Lord. You've messed with the Lord himself. Your problem isn't that you've offended the Apostle Paul. No, your problem is greater than that. You've insulted the living God. And these false teachers and false teachers today are so flippant about the things that they say and preach. There's no fear of God, but they should fear him. And the Apostle Paul brings that to their attention that you false teachers should, you should be in shock of what you're saying. And you need to take a moment to know that there is a God who will judge you based on what you are preaching and teaching. Look at Galatians 1, verses 8 through 10. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preached, let him be accursed. And we have said before, and now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. The Apostle Paul is being emphatic and he's being strong with the language here. The word that's used there for accursed is the Greek word anathema. It means to devote to destruction. It means to ultimately give the devotion of that person or thing to the judgment of the Lord. He's making it very clear that you don't have to worry about me judging you because God is going to judge you. And he says, whoever preaches a false gospel should be accursed. They should be devoted to destruction. And they should receive judgment from God. He says first, he says, look, if I knock my head and I get wonky and I start preaching to you a false gospel, hypothetically speaking, but point be clear, may I be accursed. If an angel or divine messenger were to preach to you a false gospel, them too. But if anyone, and certainly everyone who is preaching to you a false gospel to you, Galatians, let them be accursed. And most readers and people within our culture today, and certainly the Galatians, would have been shocked to hear Paul say this. Can you believe that? 
Paul, how, how can you say such a thing? You, you need to lighten up. You need to, you need to be more charity, charitable. We're shocked, Paul. You would say something like that. And I think Paul's response would be, you're shocked? That's why I began my letter the way that I did. You're shocked? No, I'm shocked. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. You're shocked. I'm shocked. And the reality, folks, is that Paul isn't being mean or insensitive or uncharitable. I spoke to Johnny a little early in the week about the text, and he summarized this text very well. He said, it's a situation of broken hearts and troubled souls. The Apostle Paul, his heart is broken for this local church that is being duped. They're being troubled. They're being led astray by a false gospel with no Savior. It is a dead-end street, and souls are laying in the balance. Folks, hear me. You get this gospel right, and it is the sweetest, most radical, most beautiful redemption in all the world that God in Christ redeemed, called, reconciled the most vile of sinners. That we were destined for hell without hope in this world, dead in our trespasses and sin, deserving the full wage of the wrath of God because of our sin. We earned every bit of divine punishment for him. Every ounce of God's wrath deserved to be poured out on us for all eternity, separated from God in Christ. That's what we deserve. But through Christ and Christ alone, totally by his grace the scripture says you're chosen you're called you're transformed by his spirit you're given a new heart you are new creatures in christ and for christ you are no longer children of wrath but you are children of god you're no longer slaves in bondage to sin you are servants of christ you're no longer dead in your sins but you are alive in christ you are no longer lost and wandering without hope because you have been redeemed you have been reconciled you have been restored to your heavenly father and all of it by grace, through faith in Christ and Christ alone. You get this gospel right, and it is the most beautiful good news in all the world. But if you get this gospel wrong, then you're still dead in your sin without Christ. Clinging to a false Savior who is no Savior at all. Pleading to a mediator who cannot save you and any gospel without Jesus and any gospel that puts a plus next to Jesus for salvation is no gospel at all for am I seeking the approval of man or of God he says verse 10 are I trying to please man if I were still trying to please man I would not be a servant of Christ Paul said I didn't come here and I didn't write you to get your applause. I love you more than that. I love you enough to preach the truth to you. And folks, it is impossible for me to preach this text without the sober reminder of verse 10 hanging over the preacher today. And my aim here this morning was not and is not to distort 
or misrepresent, and it's not to create a straw man to tear someone else down just to build myself up. That is not my point. But you take all of those to their final conclusion, and you see what's at the root. Is it Christ and Christ alone for salvation? Or is it Jesus plus fill in the blank? Or Jesus is an example, but he's not your substitute. Or Jesus doesn't really fully atone for sin. I love you more than that, church. My aim is to preach the truth to you. And how unloving, how unloving would it have been for the Apostle Paul to see a coming destruction and not say a word. In the same way, the most loving thing that I can do this morning is to preach the truth and his gospel and the exclusivity of Christ and Christ alone for salvation. And I don't stand in this pulpit to gain the applause of men. And if I did, just like Paul, I would not be a true servant of Christ. And I would also be a fool, and I wouldn't do anyone favors today without extending an invitation to that end for you to respond to this gospel of grace this morning. Have you placed your faith in Christ and Christ alone for salvation? Or have you looked to other things? Have you looked for lesser things to find your right standing before God? If that's you this morning, I want to point you to the greatest news that the world has ever known. His name is Jesus Christ. Is God calling you to salvation this morning? Is God calling you by his grace? Is he calling you to repent of your sin and to believe the gospel? You know why he is the only savior? He's the only savior that has defeated sin and rose from the other side and is victorious. He is the only savior of the world. And his gospel is the only way of salvation. He is the glorious savior and he is able to save to the uttermost. Do you want to end your striving and wondering today? Do you want to end your doubt or how can I know that I'm saved? Do you want to be freed this morning from the bondage of sin and the trap and ensnarement of the enemy? Do you want to repent of your sin and trust Christ? Is God calling you this morning? I wonder wonder if God is speaking to any of you this morning. Is God calling you, sinner? Won't you come? Won't you repent of your sin? Won't you come? Come. Come by grace before it's too late. Let's pray. Well, as always, thank you for listening, and we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Prospect Sermons Podcast. If you'd like more information about Prospect Baptist Church, you can visit our website at prospectbaptistchurch.org, or you can find us on Facebook by searching Prospect Baptist Church, Fayetteville, Tennessee. If you live in the Fayetteville area, we would love for you to join us in worship on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. If you're not comfortable doing that at this time, we understand, but please know we are live streaming our services on Facebook Live. We do hope to see you soon and look forward to you worshiping with us. Until next time on the Prospect Sermons Podcast.